Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters, a weekly radio news magazine that looks at the issues, events, and people in the Lone Star State. Today on Texas Matters, Republican State Representative Lyle Larson explains why he's done with the Republican Party of Texas and he's endorsing a Democrat for Lieutenant Governor. I just don't think think Dan Patrick uh, is good for our state. Records from the primary show that the new Texas voting restriction laws are causing massive disenfranchisement. Those impacts were not felt equally by all Texans. There are large racial disparities in the impact. And why is the state of Texas sending election monitors to Harris County? This is Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. State Representative Lyle Larson is a Republican. He represents House District 122, which is in Northern Bear County, He has a long record of being a fiscal hawk and a hardcore principled conservative. And that put him at loggerheads with the leadership of the Texas GOP, where the word conservative has taken on a different meaning. He had a public feud with Governor Greg Abbott over pay-to-play politics, and that resulted in many of Larson's bills dealing with water conservation being vetoed. Larson is not seeking re-election and he is publicly endorsing the Democrat for Lieutenant Governor, Mike Collier, over Republican Dan Patrick. I asked Larson about that decision. The biggest concern I have right now is folks aren't focused on governing. We're we're running campaigns based on hyperbole. We're not addressing the the issue with the grid. We're not uh, addressing some of the concerns people have. Uh, with the aftermath of the Evaldi shooting. Uh, we're not ad- addressing the issue of rural health care with 20 hospitals being closed. We're talking about uh, vouchers uh, in in Texas for public education uh, when we're underfunding education uh, by, uh, by several billion dollars. Uh, and it would be to the detriment of, of folks in the rural areas of the state that don't have uh, private schools, all those issues are being driven by uh, by Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and I I just think that you know if you if you got somebody like uh, Mike Collier that was a Republican, is a moderate Republican, he switched parties, uh, and I spent three hours with him talking talking through the issues. Uh, I, I feel a lot more comfortable with him. The other thing is. Uh, the one-party rule just doesn't work really well. It doesn't work in, in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, the Democrats control everything, and you, you pitch to the left. And, and in Texas, we pitch to the right. Uh, and uh, I just want, I want government to function the way it's supposed to. And I think if you have a checks and balances, uh, it's going to keep uh, the extreme elements of either party uh, from uh, from getting – a lot of things uh, that they want done on their agenda because you're going to have somebody that's going to block it, and then you you have more of a reasonable approach. So I think Mike Collier represents that more so than than Dan Patrick. I think you know a lot of the culture war issues that have uh, that have come up uh, in the state uh, were driven by Dan Patrick, uh, whether it be the bathroom bill or you know the, the, the any of those those issues. 
And I want to go back to what we're responsible for. 75% of the budget in the state of Texas is health care and public education. And then you look at water infrastructure needs that we have, uh, the highways, uh, our park system, all of that. But we get caught caught up talking about something that really most most of it's not even within the purview of state government. And uh, we take a a, a large amount of, of the legislature's time addressing issues that we're not directly responsible for. So I just think that, that Mike Carty would, would represent uh, uh, the people in the state of Texas better than Dan Patrick would. And, you know, I, the disenfranch- uh, uh, being disenfranchised with, with party politics altogether, both Republicans and Democrats, partisan politics is, is dumbed down our government. You know, we're no longer concerned about Texas or our country. We're worried about the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I'm worried about let's getting th- getting government to do what it's supposed to do, regardless of, of, of party affiliation. And I hope more people cross over and they look at the person and not the party uh, in this election. And we'll start getting more of what we want uh, out of government instead of just just this this mindless partisanship that's uh, uh, that's been prevailing over not only the state of Texas but uh, over our country as a whole. People outside of Bear County uh, may not be familiar with your your track record as a conservative, and uh, it's a true conservative uh, point of view that you, you've had over the, over the years. I followed you. City Council, County Commissioners, Bear County, and then as a state representative, elected first time in 2010. And I've always seen you kind of seen you as, as sort of a Goldwater uh, conservative, always asking the question, is this the appropriate role for, for government? And um, But it, was that a, an appropriate assessment? Well, I've always looked at it uh, from a fiscal conservative standpoint. Uh, absolutely. You hold uh, – you hold – government to, to the revenue streams that flow in. Uh, you don't spend more money than you have and ask questions and scrutinize uh, what government's about. And so I, that's where I've, I've, I've sort of lost my appetite for partisan politics is we're, we're no longer uh, focusing on governing. I, you know, my, my perspective is the best government is a quiet government, a government that the trains run on time, Nobody's trying to take credit for anything that we're trying to get. uh, We're trying to make sure that everything operates within society. Now we've just got a lot of folks that want to run and they're looking at the next office or, you know, whatever their ambitions are. And that's why I think that uh, we need to, I would love to see an independent party uh, come up and give people options between the two extremes and uh, the primary politics and the Republican Party has gone way right, uh, and 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 then the Democratic Party has gone way left. You know, I, I just want. I, I think most people uh, look at, uh, at look at uh, government uh, to provide those uh, those roles that they're responsible for, and uh, I think most of us are in the middle. Uh, I haven't changed uh, on the ideological spectrum. Haven't changed. I am center right. I'm not far right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a Reagan Republican and, uh, you know, doing the right thing. But, uh, you know, just the extremism that, that we've we've seen manifest itself uh, over the last 
uh, six years, uh, it's scary. I mean, it's threatened democracy and, and you know, whether, whether it be the January 6th insurrectionists or uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, those two, most of us are not on either one of those polars. We're in the middle. And I think that's why we've got to start looking at people and not the, the partisan labels and start making the right decisions. And, and at, sitting down with Mike Collier, I had no idea whether I was going to support him or not. But you got somebody that's an accountant for 22 years. He's sort of boring, uh, you know, to be honest with you. But he's a nice gentleman. But he worked for Pricewaterhouse. He worked for Exxon uh, in, 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 in working with Republicans. He is a Republican uh, in everything he's done in his life and the way he speaks and the way he holds people responsible. So uh, that's where I came to that conclusion. And, I, you know, I can make those decisions. I'm more of an independent now than I am a Republican, and I'm going to make decisions. I'll, I'll still vote center right, uh, but I'm not going to just pull, uh, you know, one lever because they're Republicans or you know, and I hope people don't – we get off of this and we start cross-partisanship. You know, there's bipartisanship uh, and there's nonpartisanship. How about cross-partisanship where you go across, you do your homework, you look at the individual, and you make decisions uh, both at the national and state level and the, and the community level, you know, who's going to – you feel like is going to serve you uh, better uh, in whatever office they're running for. So you were the only Republican in the House that voted against the election bill that led to the House Democrats to to break quorum. You were the only Republican to vote against the uh, so-called critical race theory bill that we had. And you also filed a bill, tried to put in a, a an exception for rape and incest in the abortion ban, and that didn't pass. Uh, but And you've also fi- supported the expansion of Medicaid in Texas in the House. So some people would say those positions were not Republican positions. Well, I don't look at them as as Republican or Democrat. I look at them as common sense, and we can uh, break down every one of them. So uh, I called our our voters administrator in Bexar County and and talked to her about any fraud uh, that occurred uh, during the 2020 election. And then subsequent to that, we did a $4 million audit of the four largest counties. We didn't find any fraud. And when we start changing laws uh, for for things that didn't transpire, I think that's a bad precedent to set. And you look at it, and when, when I'm running for every office that I've run for, the first thing you do is you send out a senior mail ballot. Well, that's prohibited by law now. We, we, as a campaign, you can't send those out. And a lot of the things uh, that were put in that bill is going to suppress the vote, not only for uh, Democrats, but for Republicans. A lot of Republicans had their ballots uh, rejected uh, during the primary, and I think it's going to be compounded. So I think it's going to hurt, uh, hurt people. I would like to see us expand the opportunity for more people to vote. If you don't, if you don't believe your policies are resonating with people, you need to change your policies. You, 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 if you're going to reach a larger group of people, and the Republicans, we've always talked about a big tent. 
well, our pen, our tent is shrinking, and I would much rather go out and work with with people and uh, and work with them from a policy standpoint. Uh, so I didn't see where there was any fraud. There were allegations unsubstantiated, and I think that's big government. I'm not a big government person. I'm not going to change rules because people made allegations, and it's. And, and as we've gone through all over the country, all these allegations have been unfounded. Somebody was upset that they lost. They made uh, they made some uh, allegations that it must have been fraud. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't in Texas. And even the governor and lieutenant governor will admit that we didn't have any fraud in Texas. But, you know, we had to continue the narrative. So I, that's not something I would be uh, involved in. The Medicaid expansion, every red state in the country is expanded. Uh, and the reason being is it's for the rural part of the state. It, it, we've, we've closed 20 hospitals in the state of Texas over the last 10 years. Every red state's expanded because it's the most fiscally conservative thing to do. We've passed up $40 billion of Medicaid funding in the state of Texas since 2013 because of a false narrative that uh, Rick Perry stated uh, that this was uh, in some way part of the Affordable Care Act. It had nothing to do with the Affordable Care Act. So what we've seen is our insurance rates have gone up. Our hospital district taxes at the county level have gone up to the point where in Bear County, you pay as much in hospital district taxes as you do uh, for, for the Bear County services. It's not by any coincidence that uh, we didn't expand Medicaid and our taxes have gone up at the local level. It just doesn't make any sense. So, yes, we need to expand because it's to our detriment that we're not doing that. So you have endorsed Mike Collier, the Democrat for lieutenant governor. So what about in some of these other races, particularly, OK, um, for agriculture commissioner? I mean, I know you've got dirt under your nails. you got crud on your boots. You got it the hard way. So Sid Miller the Republican, as you and and Susan Hayes, the Democrat, the Agriculture Commissioner has a lot to do with rural health care. I'm not going to be involved in any other races statewide. I'm the only I've met with uh, Mike Collier. He's a former Republican. He's a moderate Democrat. I think he'd be better served. I mean, uh, just Dan Patrick. I just don't believe uh, is uh, is the right person to to lead. Uh, the Texas Senate. I, I, you know, there's uh, there's a myriad of, of reasons that I wouldn't support uh, Dan Patrick. And uh, I think that we all need to sort of get out of this partisan tilt and start looking at the person. I think for, uh, for not only our state, but our country's sake, we need to start uh, looking at who's running, uh, how they feel about different issues, and just blindly vote uh, along partisan lines uh, is not going to change anything in government. But, you know, that's the only race I'm going to be involved in at any level uh, is uh, lieutenant governor's race. I just don't think think Dan Patrick uh, is good for our state. Lyle Larson is a Bear County Republican and represents House District 122. He's endorsing Democrat Mike Collier for lieutenant governor. Early voting begins on Monday for the November 8th election, and this will be the first general election test for the battery of the so-called election security laws passed by the Republican-controlled legislature and signed by Governor Abbott. 
And if the performance during the party primary is an indicator, then many, many Texans who are eligible to vote will not be allowed to vote because of that law. And most of those shutout voters will be people of color. That's according to a new report released by the Brennan Center for Justice. Sean Morales-Doyle is the director of the voting rights program at the Brennan Center. This one piece of Texas Senate Bill 1, that this one piece of that bill alone had a really significant impact on voting in the March primary. It led to a great deal of disenfranchisement, voters um, being having either their applications to vote by mail or their actual mail ballots rejected. Um, and that it also led uh, that those impacts were not felt equally by all Texans, that there are large racial disparities in the impact of those uh, mail ballot application and mail ballot rejections. So from the report, um, it says that the combination of the application and mail ballot rejection left non-white voters at least 30% more likely to have an application or mail ballot rejected than white voters. So we had this massive uh, disenfranchisement and it was uh, also a significant racial component to that. That's correct. Um, the, the disparities vary um, among different uh, racial and ethnic groups. The largest disparity is between Asian voters and white voters. Um, but on the whole, there's disparities between non-white voters and white voters as a result of this law. The biggest problem was putting in your um, your voter ID number or some sort of filling in one particular area? There were applications and ballots rejected for other reasons, but we're looking here only at the applications and ballots that were rejected um, as a result of this change, this one change to the rules from Texas Senate Bill 1. Um, and that change was that people had to put um, an ID number on both their mail ballot application and their mail ballot. Uh, and I think at first blush, that sounds to people like not that onerous of a requirement. Um, but the, the devil's in the details here. If you put um, your driver's license number down on your application, but it turns out that your voter registration record contains your social security number rather than your driver's license number, your application is going to be rejected. The same is true in reverse if you put down your social security number, but it's your driver's license number that's in your registration record. If you uh, registered to vote at a time when you weren't required to put either of those numbers down, um, then it doesn't matter what number you put down on your application, it might be rejected. In addition, on the ballot, it's uh, you actually, when you return your ballot, you have to put this number down a second time, uh, but this time on the envelope of your ballot. And because um, it's not okay to make people put an identifying number like that on the outside of a ballot envelope um, that's going to you know, be public in, in the mail. It's necessary for security reasons that you have to put that number under the flap of the envelope. And so uh, I think another problem here is just that a lot of people missed it and didn't realize that they needed to put that number down. Um, and so just this one little change uh, to the rules had a really disastrous impact in the March primary. Um, I mean, we're talking about 18, we're talking about more than 20,000 ballots rejected, um, and that's in a primary election. Obviously, there's going to be far more um, voting in, in November. So that number strikes me uh, 
particularly when we're talking about concerns about voter fraud or illegal voting in Texas. And then we hear such minuscule numbers of, of, of votes that were cast illegally in, in the state. I mean, we're talking like a handful, 5, 10, 20, maybe perhaps. So the state is willing to prevent 20,000 people from being able to vote because of the concern that maybe five people would vote illegally? Does that sound like a, like a, a good exchange? Right. Well, and I think it's I think it's a great point, but I also think it's worth emphasizing that what we're studying here is just one change that SB1 made. Um, and SB1 was this omnibus bill. It contained many, many new restrictions on voting. And we look at just one of them. We're talking about 20,000 ballots being rejected. So the impact of this law is surely going to be much, much larger than that. And as you said, this is a solution in search of a problem. Um, these are these are eligible voters who are having their ballots rejected. So tens of thousands of Texans that have a right to vote are being prevented from casting their ballots by just one provision of SB1. To what end? Uh, to stop a non-existent problem um, with people casting ballots illegally. So your, your report doesn't address this other part of the law, which concerned me, was the gagging of voting officials, uh, of election mm -hmm. officials that we have at the county level. So it used to be that when a, a, um, a voting application would come in and they would see something was wrong, they would pick up the phone, they would call this individual, or they would send a, they would have some sort of dialogue. But this gag order that prevented the uh, county election officials from, from doing that uh, at, they were afraid to inform people of how to fill out these forms correctly. So that seemed to be also ha has magnified the effect. Yeah, I think that's right. I, the, another piece of Texas Senate Bill 1 made it a crime for election officials to encourage people to vote by mail, um, to, quote, solicit mail ballot applications. And um, we sued over that provision. And um, presented testimony to a court from election officials um, that said, you know, our, our client, the former Harris County Elections Administrator, talked about how she was worried about reaching out to voters, giving them information about the mail ballot application process, because she thought she might be accused of committing a crime for doing so. And so when Texas sets up all these hurdles to voting by mail and puts people in this confusing system, um, that is causing so many of them to have their applications rejected. The idea that they can't get information from nonpartisan election officials responsible for helping them cast their ballots um, because of another part of SB1 is really aggravating. Um, it, it is uh, a great example, I think, of how um, these restrictions interact with one another. Sean Morales-Doyle is the director of the Voting Rights Program at the Brennan Center. In an unprecedented move, the state of Texas is sending special election monitors to Harris County. Houston and other county officials say they don't trust these monitors, and the Texas Civil Rights Project says there's a good reason to suspect this move as being in bad faith. 
Joaquin Gonzalez is the senior supervising attorney for the voting rights program at the Texas Civil Rights Project. Well, the concerns come from the broader context of this. Uh, They announced this action in a public letter. It's not uncommon for the Secretary of State to send uh, election inspectors to counties throughout the state, but they uh, doing this in a in a public letter trying to sort of call into question Harris County elections uh, raises concerns uh, uh, given all of the issues that we've seen about election denial and spreading lies and misinformation about the elections. Uh, it's sort of undermining the confidence of voters, uh, specifically in Harris County. And the Secretary of State himself has a history of you know, making comments uh, questioning the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Harris County, the most populous county in Texas, and uh, this is a county that typically votes Democrat. This is where a lot of votes could be coming out for Democratic candidates who are running statewide. Do you, are you saying that this action that we're seeing by these state officials are is this is like priming the conversation that they're there doing this work because if their candidates lose if uh, greg abbott loses or ken paxton loses that they can suddenly throw out boxes of votes that happened in harris county because they said something wasn't done properly harris county is texas's most diverse community And it's also ground zero for election deniers and stop the steal activists. It's uh, constantly targeted by these activists in a number of ways. For example, the county regularly receives mass voter challenges from stop the steal activists challenging the voter registrations of hundreds of people at a time without cause. And we saw during the legislative last session uh, last year Many of the voter restrictions that were in Senate Bill 1, uh, such as banning drive-through voting and 24-hour voting, were particularly targeted at Harris County and the uh, practices that the county had implemented to increase voter participation. So it it might just be, um, you know, feeding into sort of that narrative but it's very alarming uh, that the attorney general is going to have this task force on the ground there uh, with the implication that they're ready to take action and he is on the ballot. These, this task force includes inspectors, security trainers, and legal advisors. Do we have any idea what these people can do, what they can't do? Can they keep people from voting? Can they do on-the-spot challenges to to people and say, I don't think you should vote, and they keep them from voting? Or can they throw out votes? Do they have a lot of power? They shouldn't. Under the uh, plain letter of the election code, it sets out what the inspectors can do. And again, these inspectors go throughout the, uh, the state in every county, so it's weird that they're you know, doing this with a public letter, but those inspectors are just there to observe and take notes, and then they report any issues back to the Secretary of State's office. Um, The Attorney General is not supposed to be able to take any actions without a court order. 
so they would have to go to court first. But we are certainly worried just, uh, you know, when things are happening in the moment and on the ground and some of the things we've seen going on in other states, just the turmoil that it might cause having all these extra actors uh, there in the room. Yeah, we have early voting already happening in a couple of other states, and there are reports on the ground of of, of intimidation, uh, people who are trying to uh, challenge people like on the street corner. <laughs> Having more people like these inspectors and security trainers and legal advisors, are you saying, could that be a, a voter intimidation? It definitely uh, could play into voter intimidation. And again, these are with the attorney general, you know, it, it's not clear who the members of this task force are, but they could be law enforcement officials there on the ground working for one of the candidates on the ballot uh, and a candidate that, again, has also uh, been notorious for calling into question the legitimacy of elections. So it's very concerning. Joaquin Gonzalez is the senior supervising attorney for the Voting Rights Program at the Texas Civil Rights Project. That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. I'm David Martin Davies. You can email us at texasmatters at tpr.org. There are past Texas Matters programs on our website at tpr.org. And it really helps us if you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.